Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today's guest is the Paris-based fashion consultant and stylist, Azza Youssef. Born in Cairo to Sudanese parents, she travelled extensively as a child before settling in Paris, where, as a teenager, she was drawn to the vibrant fashion scene. After some years spent working at Vogue Paris, today she styles for a wide range of brands and is fashion editor at Vogue Homme International. She's also the founder of Modern.tv, a platform for sharing ideas about sustainability. We sat down to talk about her approach to fashion, her taste and styling tips, and her five most inspiring things. Azza Yusuf, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming over, and it's great to have you here from Paris, where you live. Thank you for having me. Um, I really love your earrings. They're incredibly beautiful. Thank you. Um, I bought them in Ibiza in an old uh, Indian store. Hmm. What's the stones on them? I don't know. I don't think they're that ancient. They're just done to look ancient. <laughs> they look kind of, yeah, they look like almost ancient Egyptian or something. Yeah, they look like something I inherited maybe from family, <laughs> which is why I love them. Yeah, <laughs> just, keep it, just keep that story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so you're heading off on holiday after this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to Greece tomorrow. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, it's pretty, what's it like in Paris at the moment? Pretty dead? Everyone's left to go on holiday? or It is quite dead. Um, there are a few people hanging in there. But um, yeah, this, this city's quite quiet at the moment. And then everyone comes back in September for crazy, crazy mm-hmm. September fashion month. Is that a busy time for you? Um, yes, it actually starts to get busy towards the last week of August. I mean, before that was one of the joys of Paris is that everyone, literally everyone is off the whole month of August. But now we kind of come in a little earlier. So what's changed? Well, I think towards the last days of August, people are back. Whereas before, if you tried to call anyone before September yeah. 1st, you wouldn't find them. But why is that? Is there something, is, are they just people just working harder or? Um, I think just the calendar advanced in many ways and you kind of need to be there to prep for many things. Yeah, because <laughs> you're a fashion stylist. Yes. <laughs> so your main client is Vogue Om. Yes. How long have you, have you been working with them? I've been there for 10 years now. I mean, I started... Um, very young as an assistant and then I kind of worked my way up and it's a it's like a little family where it's the same team since I've been there so it's really lovely to work in that environment it's quite rare in our industry where's the office the office is in the Condé Nast um open space French Condé Nast open space so we're technically like a little sister of Vogue Paris so we're all in the same offices and what's it like working in that office? How many people? What's the atmosphere like? Um, I mean, we recently uh, moved to an open space, so we had to get used to that. But it also has its, you know, pleasures of like, you know, bumping into people and getting inspired by different people. And so different is it all open plan? It is. Yeah. OK. 
Okay, so even the editors are in open plan Well, space? not the not the fashion directors and the editors in chief. They they actually have an office with the door. <laughs> Us commoners share the open space, but um, no, it's nice. It's interesting. And before that, you worked at Paris Vogue, is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah, a little bit, and I assisted an editor there for a long time, and that's kind of how I got into that family. Who was the editor you assisted? Uh, Anastasia Barbieri, who's still there. <laughs> what was it like working with her? Amazing. I mean, she's just such an inspiring woman, and she's so chic, you know? She loves to do things that are timeless and elegant, and I learned a lot, you know, from her. Do you still stay in touch? Yes, we're friends, and she's the fashion director of Vagam. So, yeah, we, we see each other quite often. Mm. So this is the this is the Collector's House podcast where you come and bring and talk about the things that have inspired you um, and tell us about the things you've put into the cabinet at Five Carlos Place. So mm. I was wondering if you could share with us what is the first thing that you put into the cabinet? Well, I thought maybe um, I'd do things chronologically. So um, I kind of, um, I mean, if I could, it was, music is such a, huge part of my life it's just I mean I would die if I couldn't listen to music and I tried to remember my first souvenirs and um, one of the first things I brought to share here is um, a part of my oldest brother's record collection Um, I'm the youngest of four and I came much after the others so I kind of picked up bits and pieces of everyone else's kind of um, passions and music was definitely a big passion for him and he had the most amazing, I mean, still has, we, we kept a big part of it, the, the most amazing record collection from like the 70s and 80s. And just, I remember before evening, listening to the music, just seeing all these like um, record covers, for me, was, were such art pieces and like so incredible and inspiring. And I think it was my first introduction to graphic design. Um, and then, you know, and storytelling also and style and, you know, and just I could literally stare at, you know, like this Rolling Stones record cover for hours and play around with it. So what kind of records did he collect? Are there certain ones that stood out for you? It was mainly rock. And I think the music came after, but like from a graphic point of view, it was more um, just what they looked like. And um, and I think probably maybe the ones that stuck with me the most were the Rolling Stones covers and the Rod Stewart covers also are super graphic. But then from a music point of view, it was more like Led Zeppelin probably. And I think it all kind of, it was the beginning of my introduction to visual arts. How did you get your hands on this collection? Because I see that you own a substantial number of these records yourself now. Well, I kind of kept it for him because, I mean, I think I can say that my parents are hoarders. <laughs> they collected, they traveled, and they lived in a lot of different places. So you're, maybe we should talk about your background because you're yes. Sudanese. Yes. But I'm, I believe you were born in Cairo. I'm born in Egypt, yes. Um, my father was a diplomat. He worked for UNESCO. So um, my family always traveled. Every like five years, they would live in a different place. Um, so I was born in Cairo and then we moved to Paris then we moved to Jordan Cyprus and then we came back to Paris 
So um, they finally settled in Paris. But um, how, how old are you when they settled there? I was 12. I was 12 when they settled back. And I've been in Paris since. I mean, with a quick stop in New York, but I kind of didn't really enjoy life in New York. So I moved back to Paris. I figured that I'm very European in my ways and I like living in Europe, especially Paris. Um, so yeah, so you got your hands on this amazing record collection mm-hmm. and you keep it in your apartment now? I do and um, I don't listen to them often and I tried to part ways with it, but I just couldn't and I asked him what he wanted me to do with it because I feel like I have a responsibility and and he said just even for him emotionally, it's just such a big part of his life that he'd like for me to keep it until he can actually get it back because he, he lives in um, the Middle East. So Nice, so you kind of have, it, yeah. have the collection on permanent loan. Yes, and the thing is, it's, it's funny because I, after that, I've you know bought so many CDs in my youth, and, but I just don't have a connection to the object as much as I do with these records. And what mm. kind of music do you like listening to now? Like I mean, contemporary... Wise. I think that's very it's very hard to answer that question because I, I love a lot of things. I mean there's there's so much. I just I can't I love good music, let's say. <laughs> good music's good music. Exactly. So what's what what's how how did you become interested in fashion? Um I really think that I'm just in awe of style in general. So um I just I think I I try I think I pinpoint it to my favorite moment, I mean, I live for these moments when someone walks in a room and just looks incredible. And that feeling you get from seeing someone and how in awe you can be and how it can change people's reactions and, you know, feeling. So um, I'm just obsessed by that moment and trying to look like that and trying to make people look like that constantly is my constant aim I think and how what's the journey that took you from I mean at what age did you start working in fashion how did you get your first job in fashion what was it I started I mean quite young I mean um I don't really come from a family who had like anyone who worked in the arts what did your mom do my mother raised us and then my father um was initially a poet I mean he wrote poetry but then he he was a very smart self-made man who comes from a small village in Sudan and kind of got scholarships to go all the way to get a PhD in Canada and then started working for the UN so at heart he's an artist but then he had this real job and you know so um, they wanted me to do something serious and then I was like no I want to do fashion <laughs> but um, what would se- what was serious what kind of thing is serious, serious to them? was um, marketing I mean of course like they would have loved it if I wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor but that wasn't going to happen because that those are callings also I definitely did not have those callings um and then they just wanted me to do something where they would be safe that I would get a job and it would be easy for me to work what was it so you were in you're in Paris at this point yes and what were the things that were permeating your consciousness from the fashion world was it magazines was it a Um, TV show it was music videos I think really you know I think in like growing up in the 90s we had the most incredible like music videos it was such a I mean I remember um 
like uh, Herbert's videos, like for Janet Jackson or Michael Jackson. I mean, that's like timeless. And that's, and that was an introduction to fashion, even if I didn't know it at the time, you know? Yeah. So, um, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) I was just wondering what were the things that you, that made you conscious and got you interested in fashion and, you know, and you're talking about music videos, which I also remember getting really into, like you said, the Herbert's one. I think he did, did he do Michael Jackson, Naomi Campbell? Yes, Keep It In The Closet. Amazing. Obviously the George Michael video. Yeah. (laughs) Keep It In The Closet, that was the one, yeah. Mm. Um, But yeah, no, I was just, and then I was wondering, so your parents were not keen on you going going that way. Yeah. So you resisted them and did it anyway? I resisted them and then it made me work um, twice as hard to be like, okay, I really need to, um, you know, do this well. And, you know, studying at this point? Yes, I went to, I mean, I did a ground year in art school. And then I I went to a fashion school called Studio Berceau, which is quite famous in Paris. Um, And uh, I realized that the best way, because I didn't know anyone in fashion, so I thought the best way is to intern. So, and before that, I was like, doing summer jobs as a salesperson in, in stores in Paris. But um, so I started interning for a designer called Andre Walker. And I would, um, work, whenever I wasn't studying, I was working there. And I worked on his last two shows in Paris. And, um, you know, we became friends. And then he eventually had to close his company because um, uh, it, it's, it's hard to sustain a small company and be a young designer and kind of, you know, go up these steps. So he eventually had to close his company. And uh, when he did, he introduced me to a fashion stylist. And that's how I started doing... Who was the fashion stylist? Her name is Antje Winter. And um, at the time, she was beginning. And um, it, it was just a great experience because I didn't even really know of this job. Like, I was like, what what, what does that consist of? And I, at heart thought I wanted to be a designer, but I realized by becoming a fashion stylist and a consultant, you can touch so many more things and you can influence the design and you just, you can help a designer, um, you know, find inspiration and uh, edit his thoughts to, to bring out the best in what he knows how to do, you know? What's the second thing you'd put into your cabinet at Five Carlos Place? So the second thing um, I put, I brought a Pina Bausch pamphlet. Um, I'm obsessed by Pina Bausch, the choreographer. Um, I just think, I mean, any time I've ever seen one of her um, plays, I just, um, I I'm moved to tears and... Um, she just captures so beautifully like human emotion. And I, I was reading about like her process when she started. Um, I mean, when she created what she calls dance theater, uh, she really wanted, she thought that whatever she was seeing was not um, enough of a reflection of reality. So she wanted for it to be real and to really be an interpretation of of life, so that also influenced like her um, costume designs, which I think are so beautiful. These like you know the way all usually long dresses for women, and a lot of them were vintage, and it's just um, such a. It looks so simple, and it's so hard to get to that simplicity and to get to something that actually touches people is a lot of work. So um, I'm just moved by how easy it is to understand 
what she's trying to say. And you can't help but feeling emotion when you, when you, when you see anything she's done. And at what point did you, do you think you developed your own taste? Or is it something that you always had and it's been unchanged? Honestly, I think it's a work in progress. I think the older you get, the, you know, the, the clearer it gets, you know, what you like and what you don't like. And you kind of also are more assertive and it's easier for you to make decisions and say, well, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. I actually good like the, good, look good like this or I don't, you know, and you kind of um, fall less for peer pressure. So I think, I mean, until the day I die, like my style will, it's not even progress. It's just that it'll be more anchored and it'll be clearer as I go. When you look back at what your taste was like when you were starting out, like with mm -hmm. Andrea Winter, um, can you recognize <laughs> your style then like it is now? No, no, no. I think it's definitely, yeah, much um, better. I mean. And also when you're assisting, do you have to kind of, tap into who you're assisting in terms of what they're doing and really think sort of second guess what they want mm, I think it's um yes you do you do but hopefully you work for someone whose work you love so it's also a training and you're learning as you you know perfect your eye um yeah I definitely learn a lot from also I think it's it's my nature to kind of pick up on things constantly to pay attention to details and learn as I go. And what do you, how do you keep track of your references? Are you taking notes or photos or how does that work? Um, I do both. I take pictures, I write. Um, but the thing is, they definitely, usually you, they, you start developing a pattern and the same references keep coming back. So what <laughs> are your references? Um, well, I mean... Well, Pina is one of my references. I think um, Diana Ross, which is also another one of the things I brought to oh, share. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about Diana Ross then. So I wanted to share images of, of her dancing at Studio 54, which, um, I mean, for me, is a concentration of everything I love in fashion and life, which is... Is there a particular image that you think about when you think of her there? Um, I mean, there are money, but I chose one where she just looks like she's having such a good time. She's not as well-dressed as in other, I mean, well-dressed in the sense that she's not like done up. She's just wearing jeans and a tank top in this one. But um, it's just like such a pure moment of joy. And you can tell that like... What's she wearing? She's wearing um, jeans and then this tank top which is made out of a cropped t-shirt that's open in the middle and like she cut the sleeves off and she's just like smiling like so it's such a huge smile um and it's I mean I am obsessed by Diana Ross I think she's just so fabulous she's and she's someone that I learned to I mean I always liked her and I was in awe of beautiful women but I think the older I get the more I just think she's so incredible. Like she just looked amazing. She was a boss at what she, I mean, she is a boss. She at what she does. And um, just her looks are just so like um, impeccable. And um, yeah, I think fabulous is really the word. And she just makes me dream. Any picture I see of her, just I'm like, she's amazing. Yeah. And it goes back to that feeling I was talking about of like, you know, when you walk in a room and, you know, 
your like jaw-dropping beauty or style or you know it's a, it's a beautiful gift to people around you I think mm. and what how did you end up working at uh, Paris Vogue um, so I actually, after I worked for Antje, I started, I moved to New York with her and that's when I decided I did not like life in New York. It gave me anxiety. So I came back to Paris, but I definitely did not have enough experience to, um, work. I mean, I didn't know anyone. And, um, so you decided to go sort of to, solo at that point I did and it was definitely too early to go solo for me in any case for my personality and I decided to um that I wanted to assist someone else again and that I, I really wanted to learn from someone else and that's when I met Anastasia so how did you meet her uh through Antje actually she's a good friend of Antje and um and luckily I had worked well for Antje so she only had good things and nice things to say about me which helped me secure a job with Anastasia almost uh, immediately <laughs> what do you think about what is it about you that she wanted to work with you why did she want to work with you she's famous for having quite a um, she's well known for having a sort of quite uh masculine Yes. tastes in the mm. way that she in, she likes masculine tailoring mm -hmm. and she brings that a lot into the shoots that she does yeah well she she actually has two sides she so she has that masculine tailoring which I think also because it just looks so good on her she's so tall and grand and beautiful and um, but she also has a very like um not girly but womanly feminine princess side like she loves long silk dresses and um, so she actually has both and it, it, that kind of transpires in her, in the way she styles her fashion stories, you know. Um, I picked up a lot from her from the masculine side actually because I didn't really have that and I didn't think I could wear it well because I'm actually quite short. But um I mean, it was an introduction to how empowered you can get by wearing a man's suit. <laughs> do you wear men's tailoring yourself? I do. And I actually, um, I got my first um, fit to measure suit like a year ago from this store called Husbands in Paris. Um, and I don't think I, I'm, I think I'll always have them fit to measure now. And it's actually a quite decent price because people always think that when you have something made, it's going to be really expensive it's actually a decent price and um and to wear something that fits you like a glove is like priceless and incredible <laughs> and empowering what other kind of things do you gravitate towards for your own personal style when you're getting dressed hmm, i think um i mean i love dresses i love like kind of 70s silk blouses what else I mean I love a beautiful coat I mean in winter I think for me it's all about having a nice coat and then you can wear whatever under it um I'm very keen on natural fabrics which is I mean uh I got awoken by many things and one of them I started getting allergic to um synthetic fabrics so I can only wear natural fabrics and that kind of brought me into looking more into sustainability and things like that so um and working at when you were at Paris Vogue who was the editor there then uh Corinne 
when I write Perrine Reutfeld. And she had a very distinct aesthetic. Yes. And she made it, the magazine, into something that was quite powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, what was it like working her, with, with that team then? I mean, it was a dream. I, I mean, I'm, I'm such a fan of Karine. I think she's an incredible woman. She's such a muse. And to, to work there at that time, I think, is um, an experience I'll never forget. And I remember how, it's funny how also the style of whoever is the boss trickles down to the staff. So she always wore, she, always, she was so, I mean, she is still, but so well-dressed and always wearing heels. And, and I was like, I can't believe I would wear heels every day to work when she was there. I she think, actually did. At, she did, but we, so did we, you know? And I actually think I worked with like a broken toe or something. Like there was this pain in my foot that I was ignoring for the longest time because I just wanted to look amazing for her, you know? So, um, yeah. And I, and yeah, I mean, I know, I knew all the editorials of the magazine by heart. It was just so impactful. Um, what was the favorite one that you worked on? Um, there are many that I love, but I think there's one that I, that I think is really moving because I, I'm really into, um, stories that, you know, tell of a lifestyle and share, you know, family values and are kind of about love. And so there's one shoot that Anastasia did with Michael Janssen and Sasha Pivovarova, where, um, um, Ava, who's Anastasia's daughter, modeled... Uh, in the story and played Sasha's daughter and we shot um, in the ham not the Hamptons but like somewhere off of you know New York and it was it's such a beautiful story I remember that shoot yeah incredibly beautiful mm. let's go back to the cabinet <laughs> what is the fourth thing that you put in there um the fourth thing is an Asdine Alaya coat and um it just, it looks like a simple blue coat, but it's just, for me, it just shows how much this man dedicated his life to, um, you know, making the cut that will make you the most beautiful and um, the most empowered and, you know, just spend so much time in choosing the right quality of fabric. Um, I mean, it just reminds me how how much he's a master and it goes back to what I like in Pina is that doing things that look simple is the hardest thing to do and he spent his life searching for that um so, so it's a, is it wool it's like navy blue tailored wool coat it is like. wool but I think it might be mixed with something else I so actually never checked where did you find this beautiful thing I bought it at, he he had, I don't know if he still has, but he would have these like large sales once a year. And um, yeah, I bought it there. I was like, this one's mine. <laughs> and I think also it's important to whatever, if you find something that fits, it's actually 100% wool. I just checked. Mm-hmm. Um, once you find something that suits you and you feel is made for you and suits your body and is well-made, I mean, if you, and it's good quality, that will stay forever in your wardrobe and it's worth it. And it's so much better than buying multiple times because you're always looking for something that looks better. Mm. Are there, are, are there any other designers that you're, that you, that you're into in that way? 
Um, I think definitely, I mean, it's very cliche, but Phoebe Philo for Celine was just, um, I mean, I would go crazy and it's not because I'm like a hysterical fan. It's just that I would try something on <laughs> and it would just feel so good and make me look amazing. And it was also very comfortable, which is another factor in her design that's so, where you know that it's a woman who's designing for other women that I just, it had to be part of my life, you know? <laughs> where are women who like, who wore, who were wearing Phoebe Philo, where are they shopping instead? Um, I mean, I think a lot of them went to Joseph quite immediately, but um, Louise Trotter just um, announced that she left, so I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I think um, we might be lost for a while. It's funny, yeah. I was completely lost when Helmut Lang left and um, I don't know we might be stuck in a limbo for a while or you know have to look search harder or something but hopefully the things that we already collected in our wardrobe if we take good care of them we won't need to shop that much you know <laughs> and you yourself are interested in sustainable fashion you have your Instagram account modern.tv yes I do and it's um it's a little side project I started, which I'm hoping to develop. Um, I just basically wanted to um, apply what I do on a day daily basis, which is editing and choosing the best pieces uh, for designers. For And I apply those um, this to magazines, but to also to clients and to you know fashion designers. I just wanted to apply put out there what I think is um, the nicest pieces in sustainable brands and also offer non-judgmental information about so you post pictures of these pieces on the account I post pictures of these pieces I also give you know information about you know what um, different fabrics are or ideas on how um, people can live a more sustainable life because I also feel that there's there's no um, right time to be sensitive to that idea and a lot of um, sustainable platforms are quite judgmental and harsh towards the customer and the consumer so um, I just wanted it to be like a place where people feel that they can get information hmm. how does your interest in where does it come from your interest in that sustainable side of things is it through the work you've done and the and things that you've seen or is it from reading or talking to people it actually, it's interesting because that also brings us to the fifth thing in the cabinet. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I love a good segue, yeah. <laughs> Which um, is uh, this documentary of Adam Curtis called The Century of Self. And um, I didn't see it. I, I mean, it came out in 2002. It was like a BBC documentary, like an award-winning BBC documentary. Is it still online? Can you see it? Yes, it's easy to find, I think. I mean... I think you, it's very easy to find online. So um, basically, he explains how um, this man called Edward Bernays, who's uh, technically the first PR of history um, in the 30s, um, developed um, used psychology. Um, the important factor is that Sigmund Freud was his uncle. And so Edward Bernays used psychology theories applied them to um, marketing and manipulated the consumer into desiring things he did not need. And he built the whole system of, you know, consumerism 
as we know it today. And basically advertising and how, you know, we are kind of manipulated on a psychological point of view to desire things we do not need. So um, it's just about, um, you know, really being more aware of that. And um, we're always going to want something and we're always going to, you know, want to express ourselves and validate ourselves through things. But it's just that you can choose these things wisely and um there's um we have more power as consumers than we think we do so it's just it's about choosing better um you know choosing also natural fabrics that um don't emit microfibers when you wash them and um, go in the ocean and then ultimately pollute the water pollute you know living beings in the water um it it's just, I mean, I don't want to get too deep in it. I just think that whenever people are ready, they should start looking into it. And um, Are there any brands in particular that have caught your eye since you've been doing this? Um, there's one that I'm obsessed with at the moment is Lou Charmant. It's just very beautiful kind of either silk or organic cotton f- fabric dresses, slips, underwear, Um and I just think it's so simple. And it, it's existed for forever, but I just came came to it recently. So, um, yeah, I really love that brand. <laughs> I was interested to ask you as well about, you were saying when you came back from New York and you wanted, you first were thinking about going off, on, off solo, that you mm. felt like you weren't ready. Mm. And I was wondering what at what point you felt like you were ready <laughs> and how that came about. It, it's funny because I think you just kind of, you wake up one day and you're like, I think I'm... I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. It really is like that because you, you're you just like, you're no longer, um, you know, driven by your fears. You're like your, your fears of not succeeding or not knowing. It's just that there's something in you that tells you that you have the tools um, and that you actually have your own story to tell. So you go for it. And I love the shoot you did recently with a photographer whose work I really admire called Buck Ellison. Yes. Uh, you know the shoot I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Um, tell me, well, just, if you can just describe it, because it's, it's had a very, uh, quite a special aesthetic to it, look and feel. And I was just wondering if you could t- talk a bit about the look and feel of it and mm. how you guys arrived at that whole idea. Mm. Well, um, I mean, the shoot is a, is a kind of, uh, it's a men's story. Um, and it shows a man in Beverly Hills um, working out in um, high fashion. It was for for Vagum. We did this shoot, and it was kind of my um, my um, how to say like um, commentary on the world's wellness obsession. So it's a series of pictures, and he's sort of quite young, and yeah. he looks like almost from an old school Bruce Weber shoot. Yeah, like sort of young buff. Yeah, Justin P., very beautiful young German man. Um, And um, yeah, he's just, um, I I just find it funny how all these like high-end brands started doing streetwear. And it looks like any other streetwear, but it's extremely expensive. But it's all like Vuitton and Dior and Bottega. And and, and I was like, I mean, we have to address this. Like, this is um, very interesting how... um, yeah, um, people want to take care of themselves and uh, want to live a better life. 
and um, a healthier life and how that kind of influenced um, high fashion. Mm. And did was Buck already attached to the shoot at that point or was it did you I just I mean I was also a fan of Buck's like I saw um one of his shows at this gallery um this young art gallery in Paris called Baliche Hurtling and they're very good at um detecting young talents and um so I saw his show and I just love his work because it it looks again it looks simple but there is a high um commentary and criticism of you know society in his photography and I was very interested in his eye and and when I had that idea I said well I I mean I I would love to ask Buck to shoot it because he he would just do it so perfectly and he has enough you know irony um and also um a, a research of beauty so that good mix to tell that story in a beautiful way and I'm really happy with the result but I'm a, a big fan of photography. I am. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love, I mean, what we do is teamwork, you know. It's, we tell the story. We want to tell a story, but ultimately it is shown through someone else's eyes. And I think it's about the relationship you build with the photographer that makes you be able to tell that story. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, you're off on holiday after Mm -hmm. this. So I feel very privileged that you've taken the time to come and (laughs) chat with us. And I hope you have an amazing time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.